title of our homily for Homecoming Weekend, Tales from a Vineyard, When You Can't Get Any Closer. Let's pray. Oh, God, your truth is marching on. It really is. Sometimes it feels like nothing's happening. And then all hell breaks loose on this planet, and there is your truth in the midst of it all. So engage our minds now. A few minutes we have left. Address our hearts. We want to take it away, what you have for us right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to put a picture on the screen for you. Do you recognize who this is on the screen? As far as we can tell, not an alum from Andrews University or Emmanuel Missionary College or even Battle Creek College, about the same vintage as Battle Creek. You recognize his face. That is Karl Marx. Yep. The intellectual father of communism with his friend Friedrich Engels. They, they crafted together that little pamphlet, the Communist Manifesto, and changed the planet, changed the history of this earth forever and ever. They did it. Political atheism, tour de force, took over economics and society and culture. So you can imagine my shock. Okay, so atheist Karl Marx. You can imagine my shock when I come across a tiny little footnote. I tell you the truth. Small font. Tucked away at the end of a chapter in F.F. Bruce's commentary on the Gospel of John. Footnote number two, page 316. I could not believe my eyes. I'm going to put it exactly as it appears in that book on the screen. It is a matter of historical interest that one of the earliest literary works of Karl Marx Listen, was a graduation essay written at the age of 17, and here comes the title, on, quote, the union of believers with Christ, according to John 15, 1 through 14, showing its basis and essence, its absolute necessity, and its effects, end quote. Can you believe that? 17 years old, he writes a paper to prove the absolute necessity of this union with Christ found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 14. Unbelievable. And by the way, his, his professor uh, marked the paper with these words, a thoughtful, copious, and powerful presentation on the theme, end quote. Unbelievable. Can you imagine what human history would be like right now if he had believed later in life what he wrote in that graduation essay? I want to take a look. Come on, alums, join us. I want to take a look, John 15. Something attracted young John, uh, Karl Marx to this chapter. I want to find out what it is. Open your Bible with me, please, to John chapter 15. While you're finding that in your Bible, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a man who was wildly popular and politically hated. It's late at night now. He, with his 11 followers, are hurrying out of the sleeping city down into that, that dark gorge called the Kidron Valley. They, their, their destination, the slope on the other side, a slope bathed tonight because it's Passover with the full light of a full moon. As they're hurrying up that slope to their favorite haunt, a garden called Gethsemane, the leader, Jesus, notices they're passing a vineyard. He stops, steps off the pathway in the silver light, stands by the trellis and says, guys, come here. I have something to tell you right now. They huddle around him. 
little Karl Marx read these words. I want to look at them with you. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, red letter words in my Bible. Chapter 15, rather, chapter 15, John chapter 15, Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I got to tell you something. I got to meet, no, no kidding. I got to meet a real live vineyard gardener the other day. His name is Jose. He's a delightful human being. I met him in a vineyard five miles up the road, a vineyard we're calling God's Vineyard. We took our camera crew up to that vineyard, shot a bunch of conversations in the vineyard on site. And alum, since you're here, I want to run one of those conversations for you. Just take a look on the screen. Standing in what has to be one of the most beautiful spots here in southwestern Michigan. I'm standing here with my friends Robin and Jose. And gentlemen, we are in the midst of a vineyard. This is a real live vineyard. You know, most of us, most of us have never lived near a vineyard. And every year, the university harvests this. Right. And who picks up the grapes? Well, the university harvests and all the grapes go to Welch's. So You're talking about Welch's, the juice company. The juice company that uh-huh. was actually started by a pastor to create juice for communion. So Welch's gets all of this. Mm-hmm. Andrews University's vineyard. Really, this is God's vineyard, right? Yeah, it is. This it is God's is. vineyard. Because the produce all goes for God's mission. Amen. Yeah. Now, we're standing by a vine, Jose. Right here, yeah. Yeah. And, and you just told me the age. I couldn't believe it. How old is that vine? This, uh, I'm pretty sure, is like a 60 years old. We have the gnarly old vine. This is not really a, an attractive picture. No, no, it's not. Yeah. Show us where the branches come out of the vine. You know, like uh, right here, you so know. That's see, a this, branch? Yeah, it's a yeah. branch, you know. So. Oh, this is a branch up yeah. here as well. Okay. Then what are these? Well, this is a runner. So we look for the good runner just to, to leave it, you know, for next year. Prune mm-hmm. it. And uh, produces good fruit. So in this juncture, we've got branches coming together. But the vine, how essential is that vine? It's very essential. A, a branch can survive on its own? No, if we cut it and we, we wrap it in the ground, it's for sure it's going to die. It needs to be connected with the plant, you know, just to survive. That's amazing to me that God takes this, this plant and he makes the points all the way through scripture. Vine, branch, vineyard, and fruit. And plus also we have to stay connected with God. Oh, I like that. And otherwise we cannot make it. Our spiritual things, you know, needs to be connected with God. And otherwise we cannot make it either, you know, so. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Thank you, Jose. Yeah. You're not only a gardener, you're a good preacher. Oh, man. You see that connect? Yeah. That's what Jesus is talking about. But he puzzles me, this Jesus. I would have gone from verse 1 immediately to verse 5. No, 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 no. He says, I'm going to talk about something else instead. Let me go back. Read verse 1 with me and we'll plunge into verse 2. Jesus speaking there in the silver light. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it it will be even more fruitful. You know, I don't understand this, Jesus. Please, please, please. You're making a point. You're the vine. 
The father's the gardener. Why don't you tell us who we are? Why don't you just go to verse 5? Hey, you guys are the branches. You abide in me and I abide in you. Wow, you're going to bear much fruit. But oh no, you spoiled a perfect moment. You start talking about human suffering because what, what, what is uh, pruning? Pruning is the, is the knife in the hand of the gardener. Ouch, it hurts. You're talking about pain and we want to talk about fruit. I've never, this little four-week four series that we've been working through, it has always puzzled me until just this week. It, it hit me. Why Jesus starts talking about suffering. The second word out of his mouth, mouth is pain. Because in less than 24 hours, he'll be hanging on a Roman cross by direct command of the governor, the procurator. He will have been scourged at least twice, some think maybe three times. His back is shredded now. The flesh hangs in strips. It is bleeding profusely. He is nailed, he is nailed in a position that brings on asphyxiation. You strangulate to death through crucifixion. The Latins coin a word, excruciatus, which means from out of the cross. And when you say, I have an excruciating headache, my pain is from out of the cross. No, 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 no. I'm going to talk about suffering right now. My father's going to take a knife. And in his hand, that knife will be wheeled. You'll feel pain. It will hurt. But it's for the sake of fruit. I have a friend. We were visiting just this week. Right now going through intense, immense suffering. To even talk about suffering, his face immediately pops in my mind. I have multiple faces of friends, people I love, suffering right now. Wow. Excruciatus. Would the God... Come on. Somebody try to talk God out of this, huh? Isn't there another way we can get fruit? Do, do, do we have to go through... Apparently not. A friend of mine was a part of our university family, Auntie Yaranchich. I was reading the other day, came across a quotation. I'd never seen it before in my life. Sent it to me. I'm going to share it with you now. Take a look at this, written by the American author, Ellen White, a little over a century ago. The word's on the screen. This is before the quotation, but it's actually on the same page. One evening, so she tells a little story to set up the quotation. Here's her story. One evening, a gentleman who was much depressed because of deep affliction was walking in a garden where he observed a pomegranate tree nearly cut through the stem. Greatly wondering, he asked the gardener why the tree was in this condition, and he received an answer that explained to his satisfaction the wounds of his own bleeding heart. Sir, the gardener said, this tree used to shoot out so strong that it bore nothing but leaves. I was obliged to cut it in this manner, and when it was almost cut through, it began to bear fruit. Then after relating this, in, this incident about a pomegranate tree, she, as writers can do, pivots on her heel and immediately starts talking about the vineyard. But, but Dwight, why even bother with this? I'll tell you why. Because we're having this glorious homecoming and everybody has their most well-manicured faces on and when we see each other, fine, thank you, and you. How's it been? Fine, thank you, and you. Oh, great. And there's some of you here that are broken internally. Your hearts have been, the, 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 the stab wound is deep through your heart. You are suffering and nobody here knows it. I need you to go home knowing that there is somebody who knows it 
And that somebody has his arms around you in the midst of the pain. Now the little American writer, words on the screen, our sorrows do not spring out of the ground. In every affliction, God has a purpose to work out for our good. Every blow that destroys an idol, every providence that weakens our hold upon earth and fastens our affections more firmly on God is a blessing. The pruning may be painful for a time, but afterward, quoting Hebrews 12, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Keep reading. We should receive with gratitude whatever will quicken the conscience, elevate the thoughts, and ennoble the life. The fruitless branches are cut off and cast into the fire. So let's be thankful that through painful pruning, ouch, 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 we may retain a connection with the living vine. For if we suffer with Christ, we shall one day also reign with Him. Romans 8. The very trial that taxes our faith the most severely and makes it seem as though God has forsaken us is to lead us more closely to Him. Guess what? When you're pruned, and some of us are being pruned right now, when you are pruned, your faith will be tested to its max. You will have to choose, shall I believe in a God who allows this to happen to me? It will be a, an assault against your faith, and you will determine, shall, will I hang on to Him or not? She's right. It seems as though God has forsaken us to lead us more closely to Him, that we may lay all our burdens at the feet of Christ and experience the peace which He will give to us in exchange. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ooh, even God in human flesh felt the knife in the hand of the gardener. What are you doing, Dwight? You're trying to rosy up human suffering? No, I'm not trying to rosy up anything. But I want you to know, those of you who are suffering right now and you're watching somewhere right now, you're listening somewhere right now, I need you to know that the God of the universe who loves you with all His heart is holding on to you and watching every step you and He now make together. He wins. He will get fruit. And the two of you will spend eternity enjoying that fruit with each other forever and ever. Amen. That's why Jesus throws it in. Number two out of his mouth. You're going to get pruned. Take heart. Let's keep reading. Verse verse 4, remain in me, the O King James, abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain, unless you abide in me. Oh, here comes now. Finally, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero, nada, nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. Just to let you know, abide in me, remain in me. Let me remain in you. You saw that just a moment ago in that conversation with Robin, the master of the vineyard, and Jose, the master gardener of the vineyard. You saw where we brought the camera right in so that we could see how close is the connect between the, between the branch and the vine. How close is it? Zoom in. <laughs> it was close. You heard about that Facebook study, didn't you, that they did with the University of Milan that would be over in Italy? Their scientists collaborated together, and they took 
They took 721 million Facebook users as a sample and reported that the average number of acquaintances separating any two people in the world was not six. We used to hang around with this idea of six degrees of separation. You remember that? That's from some obscure writer named uh, Kerensky in 1929, a short story, Chains, in which he suggested that no one is more than a string of six friends away from any other person. Separation of six. But they crunched the numbers for Facebook users. You have to be on Facebook for this. And they discovered that, in fact, Facebook users enjoy a 4.74 degrees of separation. By the way, it's even closer in the United States where everybody 13 years and older, half, half of America 13 years and older is on Facebook. And the, the degree of separation for the U.S. is 4.37. Now, how close is that? So they, put, they give us this little illustration. Let me share it with you. Uh, take a jungle dweller in Papua New Guinea and a tundra dweller in Siberia, and they both have to be Facebook users. You have to be a Facebook user. That means that a friend of your friend probably knows a friend of their friend. Wow. We really are a close society. Yeah, we sure are. Now that Facebook has redefined the definition of a friend, you can have a million friends and not be close to a single one of them. No, 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 Jesus says, I'm not talking 4.37. I'm not talking two. I'm not talking, I'm not talking one. I'm talking zero degree. Read my lips. There will be zero degree separation because I'm going to abide in you and you're going to abide in me and we'll be this tight. You let anything more than zero come in between you and Jesus, you will sap and bleed to death. You cannot live tight without zero degree separation. That's what I'm talking about, Jesus says. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, our zero degree of separation means that you will bear much fruit. So it's a very big deal. You may have gone alum. Hey, listen, alum friend. You may have gone all these years since you graduated from Manage University. And, you know, the, the, the notion may have crossed your mind somewhere along the way. You know, it's not that big a deal. I, mean, I know they were a, it was a big deal when I was at Andrews University. I'm telling you, it's not a big deal. You can pretty much cut it professionally. You can pretty much cut it financially. You don't have to worry about this zero separation stuff. I'm telling you, you are dead wrong. And I don't know how old you are, and I don't know what honored class you aren't. But you're here, and I'm telling you that Jesus is saying, let's go. I want, I want what we used to have. I want what we used to have. Please, abide in me. Let me abide in you. Don't worry about the pruning. We'll be tight. As you go through it, we'll be tight. There's a little prayer that we've been learning around here, and alums, I want to share it with you as well. You pray this prayer three times a day, you'll you'll, you'll you'll be zero separation. You pray this prayer three times a day and mean it. I'm sorry. And mean it. Simple little prayer. Put it on the screen for you. Oh, Lord, please abide in me and let me abide in you. Now, I can't get any simpler than that, can it? Lord Jesus, please abide in me and let me abide in you. That's it. Pray that three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Three times a day. Let's do it out loud. Just see, see how it feels. Does it feel okay? Is it too long a prayer? Let's try it. Out loud together. Read it off the screen. Lord Jesus, please abide in me and let me abide in you.
<laughs> you say that in the morning. You say that at noon. You're eating in the cafeteria. You're eating in some elegant restaurant because of who you are in the business world. Doesn't matter to me. Nighttime, you're crawling into bed. Three times a day, Lord Jesus, please abide in me and let me abide in you. Wow. It's a big deal. Zero degree separation is a big deal. Ah. Verse 6. We're moving to the punchline now, a verse we've not read once. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me or abide in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Why would they keep the branch? Why would the vineyard gardener keep that branch? There's no fruit on it. Throw it away. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, hold on, because here comes the grand climax. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. That's it. So Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. You know what that means? Come on, come on. That means if we can somehow fathom the love between the Father and the Son, whatever names they used before they were Father and Son, who cares? But the love between those two divine beings, if we can fathom how close they were and are, Jesus says, that's exactly how I love you. That's exactly what it's going to be between you and me. The same thing. So how close were the Father and Son? Who knows for sure? Andrew Murray, the great spiritual writer from Africa, the continent of Africa, back in the 19th century, grappled with how to describe the love of the Father, the love of the Son. This is from his marvelous book, Abiding in Christ, which, by the way, is online. You can get it absolutely free in five different forms of PDFs. Okay, on the screen, Andrew Murray, love needs an object to whom it can give itself away. You know, when the... When you were on this campus, you fell in love, alums, and students who are here, they fall in love. I watch it every... We go through the ritual every year. When love happens, here's what happens. Love needs an object to whom it can give itself away, in whom it can lose itself. When you fall in love with somebody, you lose yourself. You say, listen, I'm yours and you're mine. What's the other line? With whom it can make itself one. Murray says, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, because God is love, He is that, there must be a Father and a Son. There just had to be. You can't be. You can't be single, one, and have nobody around you and not have love. You can't, it's not love when it's only you. You have to have an object for that love. Keep reading. The love of the Father to the Son is that divine passion, passion, as you say, the divine passion with which He delights in the Son and hence declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, hold on. The divine love, this is, this is hot. The divine love is as a burning fire in all its intensity and infinity, and it has but one object, but one joy, and that is in the other. We're talking hot love. You ever heard of the book, uh, The Song of Solomon? It's a great book. When you try to read it in public, you've got to edit it like crazy because there's just some, you know, anatomical features that are mentioned there that you don't read in church. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a love song. And she sings, he sings, she sings, he sings. It's all the way through. And the scholars believe, of course, it's between Solomon, a young, a young uh, perhaps even an Egyptian uh, princess, girl. Anyway, yeah, it gets really, it gets really thick and gooey as you, as you go through it. 
But what would happen? And, and, you know, and scholars say, well, it could be that this is a description of God and His love for us. Well, okay. But what if, in fact, it were a description of God with His love for each other in the, in the Trinity? What if they're singing this song to each other? I mean, do you remember? What, what, what is this song? It's in, in the Song of Solomon. I am my beloved and He is mine. His banner over me is love. I am my beloved and He is... I'm the only guy that knows this, apparently. I am my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. I am my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. Would that, would that bother you if, the, if, if God was singing it to each other? Would that, would that bother you? It's kind of like when you're, when you're young with your parents. You remember when your parents kissed each other in front of you? When you were a kid, you loved it. Yay! More, more, more. But by the time you got to be a teenager and then they kiss each other, it's like, oh, Dad, please stop. What are you doing? Do that somewhere else. When you get older, you get a little bit more sensitive to this stuff. I mean, God, I mean, you're singing to each other. Stop. God says, hey, I am love. <laughs> you didn't think I wouldn't have a red-hot passion for him, did you? What did Jesus say? Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, you boy, you girl, remain in that love. Can you believe it? As the Father loves Christ and Christ loves the Father, Jesus says, that's why I'm going to love you. I'm going to be that close. Zero degree separation, you and me. Yuck! No, you're going to love it. You and me. Now, Murray try, has to struggle a little with Christ loving us. Not as much. And then he makes a point you have never in your life read before. I have never read it before. This will blow you out of the water. Let's take a look at this. As one on the screen for you. And by the way, you have a study guide with all these quotes in it. You can take it home. As one of his redeemed ones, you and I are Christ's delight. And all his desire is to you with the longing of a love which is stronger than death and which many waters cannot quench. His heart yearns after you, seeking your fellowship and your love. He's following you. He's dragging you down every morning. He's, he's on your path. He's just hoping this will be the day. She, this will be the day he says yes to me. And then comes this line. Were there the need... He, Christ, could die again to possess you. What? you. Are you serious? Is that a crazy thought? If a second death, if the hell of Calvary one more time could bring him, could bring you, could bring me to him, the line suggests he'd be willing to go through that hell again. <laughs> you can't believe it. You're loved that much. Oh, as the Father loved the Son and could not live without Him, could not be God the blessed without Him, so Jesus loves you. His life is bound up in yours, and you are to Him inexpressibly more indispensable and precious than you can ever know, end quote. So that's it. The Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Oh, I, I, you know, if, if I really understood the depth of God's love for me, 
If you really could comprehend the depth of his love for you, you know what? There would be no mountain we would not climb. There would be no sea we would not cross. There would be no suffering we could not endure if we knew that he loved us all the way through to the end. Do whatever you want with my life. All I want is you. All I want is you. Do with me whatever you wish. All I want, Jesus, all I want is you, please. Por favor. I can't figure it all out, but this much I know. There's a new prayer I'm praying. There's a, there's a writer or psalmist named Asaph who... In the Bible, I don't know if it's a song he wrote or a prayer he composed, but he wrote a line. It's a profound line. I'm leaving it with you right now. Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you, O God? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. Wow. Are you serious? You throw everything else away if you could just have Him? Apparently so. Whom have I in heaven but you? Nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. It's when you've gone through a lot of pruning that you get to that stage. It is a stage. You get to it. You don't choose it. It chooses you. Tommy Tenney, my friend, Vincent Dean. Boy, was that a great week of prayer we had last week or what? Vincent, Pastor Vincent. Man, if you, you can find out and get copies of those uh, messages. Incredible. Watered my own soul. His opening lecture, he mentions Tommy Tenney. I said, man, I thought I was the only guy in the world that knew about the writer Tommy Tenney. So last week I pulled the book out, Tommy Tenney's book, The God Chasers. I read the book through again. Tommy Tenney makes one line. I'm putting it on the screen. You have it in the study guide. You can take it home. Here's the line. God isn't looking for religious people. He's looking for people who are hot after his heart. He wants people who want him, who want the blesser more than the blessings. Isn't that something? Who want the blesser more than the blessings. My prayers usually are, gimme, 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 gimme. I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. No, you come to the place someday, maybe when the pruning is ouch enough to when you realize it's not the blessings that matter. It's the blesser I want. So I wrote a little prayer, and I'm trying to pray it through the day for what it's worth. Totally uninspired prayer, I understand. I'll put it on the screen for you. It's in your little uh, take-home. Oh, God, more than the blessing, I want the blesser. More than the anointing, I seek the anointer. And more than the gifts, I desire the giver. Amen. That's it.
You'll come to the place, you'll come to the place where what matters in the end will be only He. Only He. I need to make an invitation right now. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I'm going to ask you to do something. If you would like to move your relationship with Jesus to the next level, wherever you are right now, to the next level, campus, community, alums, if you would like to move your relationship to the next level and you're willing to say you got the pruning shears they're in your hand I want you no matter what happens I want you I invite you to stand to your feet you're not moving out in the aisle you're not doing anything but hey, 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 don't just jump up because this is not the closing prayer. This is not the closing prayer, so I'm not just asking you to stand because, well, let's pray. I'm asking you to intelligently make a decision right now. And you're saying by this decision, you're not saying a thing to me, but if you're standing right now, so help you God, you are saying to Him, the pruning shears are in your hands, do whatever it takes. I want to come to where you are all that matters to me. And the God of heaven, who is stuck with you and me through thick and thin, his arm goes around you. The Spirit of God grabs your heart and draws it to his. You'll know. He accepts the decision. And the best, listen to me, the best is yet to come. Forget the pruning shears. The best is yet to come. You will never regret what is ahead because you prayed this decision. I want to invite the rest of you to stand to your feet as well, please, right now. We will have the closing prayer right now. Oh, God, here, here we are, little Andrews University family in a very big world, for a f but for a few moments. The eternal spirit has injected himself into our consciousness. And we want Jesus. More than the blessings, we want the blesser. Please. And so we stand. Pruning shears. 
They're in your hand. Master gardener. Whatever you decide. We want Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.